Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I read a book recently that really resonated with me. It was a book called Atomic Habits, and it was by James Clear. And the basic premise of the book is this. If you want to change something in your life, or you want to change your life, say you want to lose weight, you want to quit smoking, you want to reduce stress, you want to read more, you want to journal, those kinds of things. If you want to change those, it's often not a problem of willpower. It's not a problem of motivation. It's not even that you are the problem. The problem, he would say, is with your system. We repeat bad habits because we have a bad system. So he would say, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your system. What I really found intriguing about the book was this. He talks about how and where change takes place. And he says at the deepest level, change takes place with what you believe. He said, your identity, what you believe about yourself will determine how you live. And so that's where change takes place. In other words, outcomes are about what you get. Processes are about what you do. But identity is about what you believe. So people fail because they focus on what they want to achieve. Like, oh, I want to lose weight. I want to reduce stress. I don't want to worry so much. I want to read more. I, I want to start journaling. They fail because they focus on that where they should be focusing at the deepest level of changing their identity, what they believe about themselves, what they believe about who they are. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Suppose you say to a person, I want to lose weight. That person then says to you, hey, would you like a piece of chocolate cake? And so you're trying to lose weight, and someone walks up to you and says, would you like a piece of chocolate cake? And, and by the way, this is no ordinary chocolate cake. This was made with very skilled hands. It's homemade. It is called, this is actually the name of it, it is called perfect chocolate cake. No kidding. And the frosting is a chocolate ganache buttercream frosting. Any chocolate lovers out there? Can you imagine? I don't know what ganache even means, you know, but it sounds really good, doesn't it? I know it's a French word, so it's got to be good. So suppose you're trying to lose weight and someone comes up to you and says, would you like a piece of this chocolate cake? Now, take two people. The first person, since it's in front of me, I probably... There you go. I heard the groans out there, all you chocolate lovers. But anyway, um, the first person, when you offer them this piece of chocolate cake says to you, no thank you, I'm trying to lose weight. Now that sounds reasonable, right? But what they're thinking as they're saying that is that they're, they're thinking, well, I'm really an overweight person. I've got to try to lose weight. And I'm hoping I can keep saying no and turning these things down so that ultimately I'll be able to lose weight. But they're still identifying themselves with their former person, the person who is overweight. But suppose you offer a piece of cake to someone else and they say, no, thank you. But inside they're thinking this. And the reason I said no, thank you is because I'm a fit 
and healthy person. Being overweight, that was part of my former way of life. But that's not who I am today. See what happened? They changed identity. They changed what they believed about themselves. Now, obviously, there's more to it than that. But he would say the first step, the initial step at the deepest level, you have to change your identity. You have to change what you believe about yourself. And then he gives them some practical steps to it. He even gives you a system that you can follow to change something. But changing your identity is where you start, in other words. Now, you know, you may hear someone say something like, well, I'm just not a reader. Well, guess what? They aren't going to read because they believe that's who they are. They have chosen their identity. They would have to change their thinking about that, wouldn't they? And so when someone says that, you see what's going on. Now, there are limitations to this. Of course, like if you say, I want to be a singer. You know, just because you believe you're going to be a singer doesn't necessarily mean you can change your identity and become, I mean, you're not going to be singing like James the next day or something like that, right? So there are some uh, limitations to this, of course. But I, I think we get the idea. And I remember when I first read this book, the book Atomic Habits, I remember thinking a couple thoughts. First, I remember thinking, wow, this is brilliant because what he has done, he started at the deepest level. He started at the level where change really has to take place, your identity, what you believe. The second thing I thought was this. This is what the Bible says about how change takes place in our life. If you read someone like the Apostle Paul, and he wrote many of the books of the New Testament, he will tell you that change takes place by changing what you believe, by changing your identity. In fact, when you read what Paul wrote, he says, you don't have to change so you can become a follower of Jesus. What he would say is, become a follower of Jesus so you can change. In other words, it's not change your life so that you become a follower of Jesus. Paul says, change because you are a follower of Jesus. So, in other words, what God is saying to us He's saying that God says to us, get rid of this, you got to change this, don't do that, don't do this, and so on. Not at all. On the contrary, what God is saying to us is once you understand who you are, maybe a better way to put it is whose you are, once you understand that, then live according to your identity. Do you see the difference? One says, I have to change in order to become this. The other one says, because I have become this, I will change. And once you understand that, it revolutionizes the way you think even about being a follower of Jesus. So we're in a series right now that we're calling Enough. It's based on the book of Colossians in the Bible. It's our summer series. We're working our way through that book. That's a book in the New Testament in the Bible. And uh, the reason we're calling it Enough is because the theme of this book is really that Christ is enough. We are complete in Him. In fact, we'll see one of the verses we're going to look at today. It's kind of a theme verse for this book of Colossians. will tell us that exact very thing. But uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and today what we're going to look at is how we change. And again, what Paul will say is it's all about your identity. When you realize that you belong to Christ, when you realize that you are in Christ, that can bring about change in your life. So that's where we're going to start. And we're going to start in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Josh, up to this point, has taken us through Colossians 1 and up to Colossians 2, 
verse 6. And where we're going to start today is with Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. And I'm going to start by reading those verses to you. And as I do, pay attention to how much the focus of what I'm reading is on Christ. Um, We'll start in chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what it says. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, Paul is obviously talking to followers of Jesus. And he tells us that our roots are to go down into Christ. In other words, our lives should be built on Christ. That's what makes our faith grow strong. That's how change takes place at the root, at the deepest level. So let me ask you a question. What is the primary goal of a follower of Jesus? What is the primary goal of a follower of Jesus? Well, the primary goal of a follower of Jesus is to become more like Jesus. That's it. It's to become more like Jesus. So, that means we value what Jesus values. That means we see people like Jesus would see people. That means his priorities become our priorities. So, we become more loving and patient with others because that's what Jesus is like. We're quicker to forgive because, you know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, while Roman soldiers were taunting him, He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus' first instinct was to forgive them. I don't know about you, but I don't think my first instinct in that situation would be to forgive. I I know the non-Jesus version of Jerry would not do that. You know, I'm thinking if I had the power to calm storms and to raise people from the dead... And someone put me on that cross and was taunting me, I would be calling down fire from heaven at that point to fry them, you know. (laughs) Yet, the more I become like Jesus, the more apt I am to respond with compassion and love and kindness and to forgive. Forgiveness becomes my first instinct. So that's what Paul's message is in verses 6 and 7. Let our roots grow deep in Christ. It's this, focus on Christ because He will change you for the better. That's why we're to build our lives on Him. That's why our roots should go down deep in Him. So how do you do that? Well, there are some practices you can put in your life that will help you grow closer to Christ and become more like Him. For example, the most basic one is Bible reading. Consistently reading the Bible and then reflecting on what you read. You hear us talk about that kind of thing all the time around here. If you come very often, you'll hear us say that a lot. And, you know, we, we encourage you to do the Ridge Reading Challenge, a plan to read the Bible. You know, we're in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible right now. Actually, we just started 2 Samuel. And, by the way, feel free to join in. You can jump in right where we are and keep reading with us. We're reading a chapter a day, Monday through Friday. It's very doable. But why is that so important? Because that's how we learn about God. That's really one of the primary ways that God speaks to us. Prayer would be another way. You establish a regular habit of praying to God and include in that some quiet time with God as an intentional practice where you just slow down for a few minutes every day. And perhaps you not only gather your thoughts, but you journal, you write out your thoughts. These kinds of practices are so important 
that we're actually going to do an entire series on this very topic in November of this year. Practical ways to help you become more like Jesus. Now, the next thing we're going to see as we continue to work our way through these verses in Colossians 2 is that Paul says you are to be satisfied in Christ because he's all you need. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10 now. Here's what it says. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are, are complete in your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. Check out verse 9 again. I just read it. It's about as clear a statement as you can find about who Jesus is. When he came to earth, he was God in a human body. He was fully God, and he was fully human. In verse 10, actually, we could call it a theme verse for the book of Colossians because Paul says we are complete in Christ. He's all we need. He is enough. Now, Paul talked when he wrote there about empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense, which is kind of an interesting choice of words. There were some who were teaching that Jesus wasn't fully God, and there were some in his day who were teaching that he wasn't fully human. So that's why Paul's so quick to point out that he was fully God. But let's take a moment and think about what it means to say that we are complete in our union with Christ. It means that all the things that we look for to find satisfaction in life will sell us short if we don't have our lives deeply rooted in our relationship with Christ. Take almost anything that you desire in life. There's something below the surface that's driving that. So what is it for you? Maybe we'll start with money. Why do you want money? Well, perhaps it's so you can buy stuff or take nice vacations. But what's below the surface? What's driving that? It's a desire to find contentment in things. But you can only find contentment in your relationship with Christ. Maybe you desire money because it'll make you feel important. It's kind of a status symbol. You know, the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, the toys you buy. But when you root yourself in your relationship with Christ and you find out how much you matter to Him, feeling important to others doesn't matter much anymore. Is it relationships that are driving you? You know, relationships here on earth, in other words. Maybe it's including a marriage. Maybe you want to be married. Many times, your spouse is going to let you down. Your spouse is not going to meet your expectations. And as a result, your marriage will just result in frustration because you have a relationship based on what's in it for you. No human relationship will ultimately bring you satisfaction, especially when you are looking to have your needs met through that relationship. Is it achievement? Well, what's driving that? Why do you want to achieve? To feel better about yourself so others will think you're somebody? You know, through a job, through academics, through athletics, through performing on stage. That's just like chasing after the wind. And there's going to come a day when you're going to look back on that and say, what did all this achievement really do for me? It's your relationship with Jesus when you find out that you're loved and important to Him, not because of what you do, but because He values you as a person. Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? 
some other way maybe to medicate pain in your life or so you can escape reality. Jesus wants to help you through the pain, and he promises to bring you out on the other side. He promises to give you peace when you feel anxiety, when you feel stress, when you feel worry. All those things that we are trying to find in life, what we're looking for, they all sell us short. They just don't measure up. They're all short-term. They're all temporary fixes. They'll all end up disappointing us. Your relationship with Jesus is the only thing that can ultimately bring you joy and peace and contentment and strength when nothing else can. He's all you need. He is enough. Now, the next thing Paul points us to is this. Find your identity in Christ because that will result in lasting change. Sometimes what holds people back from surrendering their life to Jesus or inviting Jesus into their life is because they have the perception that they have to clean up their act first. You know, they think, well, if I'm ever able to do that, then I'll surrender my life to Jesus. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. If that were the case, no one would ever invite Christ into his or her life because we all have to clean up our acts. Furthermore, Christ died for our sins because we can't clean up our acts on our own. The reason you invite Christ into your life is so that he can change you. In other words, our thinking's often backwards on how this should happen. For example, here's what Philippians 1, 6 in the Bible says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We talked about this when we began the sermon. I was talking about that book, um, Atomic Habits, that his premise and the premise of the Bible as well is that it begins with identity change. You know, realizing that you belong to Christ. That's how change takes place. Once you realize you belong to Christ, then change happens naturally. It happens from the inside out, so it can be lasting change. So let me read to you what Paul says about this, about how you become a new person once you belong to Christ. This is uh, Colossians 2, beginning in verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life. There's new identity in other words, because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross." What Paul is saying is, we have a new identity in Christ, a new life, he calls it. And actually, that's what baptism pictures. You know, he mentions baptism there. When you're baptized and you go down into that water and come back out, it's picturing that you've died and you've been buried to your old life and you're being raised to a new life in Christ. That's why sometimes you hear us call baptism identifying yourself with Christ. You know, back to the book called Atomic Habits. Remember that he said that in order to develop a lasting habit, it begins with change of identity. You have to think differently about who you are. So one example he gives is this. He says, suppose you want to get in shape 
And he says, people have it all backwards about this. People think, I have to get in shape, so I'm going to start exercising. He says, you have to start at the deepest level. First, you have to start with your identity. You have to start by beginning to think of yourself as a fit person, as one who exercises. What the author of that book actually suggests you do is this. He says, why don't you just start by, on your way home from work, three times a week, stop by a gym where you can work out. He says, you don't even initially have to go in and work out. Just go by the gym, park, stay there for five minutes, and then go home. He said, because now you're beginning to change your thinking. You're beginning to think and act like a person who works out, a fit person. Then he says, eventually over time, once you've changed your identity as someone who goes to the gym after work to work out, you could actually go in and get a membership. Then next, you could start to actually go in and work out. Then you'll start getting in better shape, but you've already changed your identity. You begin to think and act like a fit person, and you started that when you went by the gym just for five minutes, three times a week. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that that approach would work, because God has told us that all along. It was God's idea about bringing lasting change into our lives that It requires a change of identity. When you invite Christ into your life, you've changed your identity. You now belong to him. That means you can live differently. That old sinful nature is buried. It's dead. You've been raised to a new person in Jesus. You can now begin to become more like Jesus. From what we just read, Paul ends that paragraph by telling us, that our old self, you know, our old identity, our old sinful nature, that those sins were nailed to the cross when Jesus died. So you don't have to live according to your old sinful nature once you've invited Christ into your life. All those sins were nailed to the cross. And because our sins were nailed to the cross, we have forgiveness, we have eternal life, but it gives us new identity, and it gives us the freedom to live differently, to live a new life. And I love how Paul paints this picture, how he presents this picture about how when Jesus died, our debt was canceled and our sins were nailed to the cross. That means we're free from our sins, our former way of life. And let's take a moment and just visualize this so we make sure we have it. You probably all know this already, but uh, preacher's kids are the worst, right? You know that. And we call them PKs. I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid. But this probably will not be very comforting for you to know. But actually, three of your pastors are PKs. Adam, Josh, and I are all pastor's kids. Adam told me that he remembers a time when he was like seven or eight years old when his parents stayed after church for some reason. And, you know, if you're a PK, you feel like you're at church all the time anyway, right? And it was a Sunday morning. They were staying after church. He was hungry. He was ready to go eat lunch. And his parents told him to wait, that they would be ready soon. Adam apparently didn't want to hear that. So he said he went into the church kitchen and nosed around for something, And he found the communion wafers and the grape juice and began eating them. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? He got caught and of course he was in trouble. So what sin would we call that? Well, it's at least disobedience, isn't it? I mean, he disobeyed his parents. So 
we'll call it disobedience. I'm sure there's some other sins there as well. But we're going to call that the sin of disobedience. And when you sin, you carry the guilt of your sin with you, right? It's on you at that point. Probably like eating communion wafers and, and drinking grape juice when it's not communion time, that's got to be a sin. I know, but that's been so horrible, we won't even write it down. We'll just move on. Josh told me about a time when he was a little kid that he bit a little girl in Sunday school. So his parents told him to apologize, and he refused. And of course, his dad was the pastor. And he said, so they waited around after church for over 20 minutes for Josh to apologize until finally he broke down and apologized. So what sin would we call that one? Well, let's at least call that defiance, okay? And I think we've all been guilty of that one. And, and when you do that, you carry the guilt of that sin with you, don't you? I remember as a kid that we had this program at our church that was kind of like Boy Scouts, only it was designed for churches. And you would complete these sections. There were things you would do and so on. And when you would complete a section, your leader would sign that so you could move on. And I got the wise idea of forging my leader's signature. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know. I guess that I thought I could write it in a way that it would never be noticed. You know, what are you thinking sometimes as a kid? And of course, I got caught. Now, what do we call that sin? Lying, deception, forgery, you know. Uh, that one sounds pretty heavy. I'm just going to call it, uh, especially when you're like eight years old, we're going to call that, how about cheating? Well, I carry that one, don't I? I did that. I'm guilty. I carry that with me. Now, looking back on these, you know, some of them seem like laughing matters. Oh, you were being kids. But honestly, that just shows how guilty we are. These were sins committed in the church by pastor's kids, by future pastors. And they're just the start. All three of us have a long list of sins that we've accrued every single day of our lives since then. Can you imagine if you have to carry the burden of all those things and being held guilty for them when you die? Think of the worst sin you've ever committed. Does one come to mind? Perhaps it's something that other people don't even know about and you would never want someone to find out. The very worst sin that you've ever committed. You carry that with you, don't you? Guilty. Man, I wouldn't want to carry any of my sins with me, let alone the worst one. They separate me from God. They keep me from God because He's holy. Jesus died to take all my sins on Himself so that I can have a relationship with God in this life and the promise of eternal life. All these sins that we carry, when Jesus died, what we just read, they were nailed to the cross. All I have to do by faith 
is accept God's gift of forgiveness to me. Here's the way Ephesians 2.8 in the Bible puts it. God saved you by His grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Where are our sins? They're on the cross. Look at me. I'm free from my sin. I'm a new person. I belong to Christ. I'm forgiven. That means I no longer identify with my sinful nature. I'm free from that. I'm free to live a new way because I belong to Christ. So what does that mean for you and me? Some of you here today may just need to realize whose you are. That you are no longer enslaved to sin, to a habit, to an addiction, to a temptation like lust or anger or impulsive spending or negative thinking. You are free from that. You are a new person. You belong to Christ. And you are free to live that way. So you can start doing that today. Let's pray. Father, how I thank You for what You've done for us. And my prayer is that those of us who do identify ourselves this morning as followers of Jesus, that we've invited Him into our life, that we surrender our lives to Him. My prayer is that we would just understand what that means, that we would believe that, that we would understand our identity, whose we are, and begin to live that way. We don't live that way to become a follower of Jesus. We live that way because we are followers of Jesus. And my prayer is for those here this morning who may have been, maybe have just been thinking about this or even thinking about inviting Jesus into their lives and something's been holding them back. Maybe what's been holding them back is they're just wondering if they're good enough, if they can clean up their act. My prayer is that they'll go ahead and take that step realizing that you died for all that and that you give us a new identity and you help us live a new life. And we just thank you that we are free from our sin, that we are a new person, that we belong to you. And right now, we just want, through this song, to celebrate what that means to us. And Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen.